Learn to code, build apps, inspire the next generation. Welcome to the Swift App School podcast, where we are empowering the next generation of app developers. I'm Charles Long, co-founder of Swift App School. And I'm Bob Williams, co-founder of Swift App School. Hey, Charles, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. I have been busy at work ever since App Camp was finished. So, <laughs> but yeah, it was great to to have a great app camp this year to have so many teens there that were really inspired at the end of the, the camp and uh, just feel so good to, to give back and to have so many scholarship students as well. So yes, we wrapped up our app camp, which took place July 11th through the 15th. And I agree, it was very, very successful, probably one of the best app camps we've ever had. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing. So let me welcome us to episode 11 of the Swift App School podcast. Today we're going to discuss our app development camp, all things code, and some computer science advocates on a national level that's interesting, and then we'll have something cool at the end. Before we get into our topics that we're going to discuss, we're going to do some shout outs. So first of all, I'd like to give a shout out to podcast listener JSR984. If you're listening to this episode, send us an email to info at swiftappschool.com or send us a DM on one of our social networks. Let us know what t-shirt size you wear and we'll send you a free t-shirt from our app camp. But I'd like to read what this person posted. They said, great tech podcast. I really enjoy listening to this podcast. There are times where some of the discussion of programming languages and programming techniques are a bit over my head, but they are discussed in a way that makes sense to someone who is not a programmer, which is the mission of Swift App School to teach the next generation of app developers. This podcast is also a great way to keep up with the latest developments from Apple. So thank you, JSR984. Again, reach out to us on our email or one of our social networks, and we'll send you a free App Camp t-shirt. Thanks. Yeah, we really appreciated that review, JSR984. We'd also like to send a shout out to Keenan Lake and My Daddy Taught Me That program. They sent someone to App Camp. Also, the Boys and Girls Club of Henderson County. Also, a special shout out to Shaylin Yost from the Boys and Girls Club of Henderson County, who was a trooper in driving the students 45 minutes or so every morning to and from the app camp. And we really appreciate that. The students were great. And also Open Doors, who sent one of their students as well. Yeah, and uh, we plan to do more with with all of these organizations. I mean, they were great to work with. And some of them kind of at the last minute, you know, sent us a student or two. So that was great. And uh, now that we have connected with them, we're hoping to do even more in the future. Uh, we've even talked about doing some Saturday you know, afternoon or, or morning sessions with some of these students just to continue their learning because um, they were they were really excited about continuing that. We've got great reviews as well during app camp. So um, I guess we could talk about app camp now, you know, every year we get to app camp, we do so much work to get it up and running. Um, a lot of coding, a lot more coding than I do even during the regular year, just to get all the lessons going. And it's just, to me, it's so rewarding to see the end of the week these kids are getting it. They're learning so much, and it's just empowering and it's inspiring. 
This year we were lucky enough to have Daniel Steinberg come down from Cleveland, Ohio, and he was our keynote speaker. And I just thought his talk was so good. He did a great job. And, you know, it was fun to just kind of see the kids like even talk about it. I heard some of them talking about his talk afterwards. You know, he talked about all the important things like keep it going even as you, it gets harder. I mean, he talked about learning to code is kind of like, you know, learning scales and music. I thought that was a good analogy, uh, especially since I'm a musician. And, you know, he said, it's like kind of like learning an instrument. It doesn't sound pretty in the beginning, but it, in time, you know, you're going to make your own music. I mean, it, it kind of alluded to that you're going to make your own dent in the universe. Steve Jobs quote, I thought of that as well during his talk. You know, and just... Even like the facts about his his story, like he got his first iPhone when he was 48 years old. Well, I'm 48 years old, so it's like, you know, <laughs> hey, there's still time for me to do more. So anyway, yeah, it's just kind of cool to like hear his story. And I think he inspired the kids as well. One thing I think the best part of his talk was throughout the talk, he said, often things happen, you know, things fail, you know, things happen. But warning, most of coding is failing. I mean, that's that's great to, to tell these students this, especially in the beginning, like before they start to see all these errors everywhere and, <laughs> and wonder, oh, why is this bracket in the wrong spot and struggling to fix their problems? And he said, you're going to spend most of your day struggling to get some problems to work, but it feels great in the end when it works, but then you move on. <laughs> um, and, you know, as he said, even the dumbest app on the phone especially the iPhone, feels great. Uh, so I thought that was really a, really a good inspirational talk to start the week off. And thanks again, Daniel, for coming down and um, giving that talk. We hope to have him on the show sometime. I agree with you. It was very inspirational. And I think for the students, I think the thing that they get from it is that having someone who has been successful in their mind and even in our minds, Daniel's uh, well-known in the Swift community. And to look oh, yeah. at someone who's been doing app development or any sort of professional career, and the students can look at that and be inspired and hear those words that it's going to be difficult. You're going to have challenges, yet you're going to be able to overcome those, I think is really important, especially when you get into coding and a lot of students hit those roadblocks and they're just like, their eyes are 500 watts because they've run into a few errors and all of a sudden one error, two error turns into 50 errors. So I think that it relates well when they can go back and say, well, I was warned before this started, there was going to be a lot of errors, but there's a lot of help here and a lot of assistance. And so again, like you said, when you reach Friday and you have half or the majority of the students who've never coded in their life. And on Friday, they've built three apps slash games and they're telling their parents how excited they are or they're telling their mentors or whoever they go back to that this was one of the best camps they've ever attended. Like that's very special to us. And this is what we are aiming to do even at a larger scale. But we are excited that every year we continue to hone our craft down to something that's fun, first of all, and interactive. And students can walk away and say, I'm not afraid of coding. This is really something I'm more interested in. I think there was one person mentioned that they might even change their career to go into coding. I was excited to hear that and glad yeah. to do our part to encourage students in this direction. 
Yeah, and and I want to give a shout out to our our technical assistants. Uh, you know, Matthew, Robbie, Addie, Henry. They were all amazing. They did great work, and they had a great attitude the whole time. We had you know several of our students talking about the TAs and their reviews about how much it helped to to have them you know coming through, looking over their shoulder, helping them continue to like iterate on their projects. That that's the other part. It's like we had some students you know talking about their projects. Well, let's talk about the projects we did. I guess you could talk about yours first. Yes. Yeah, so I'll actually back up for a second here because one of the other things that students talk about is the food. Oh yeah, that's right. And your I, wife did a great job. Your wife did a great job. Yeah. My wife was a logistics, uh, what do you call it? A staff member. And she uh-huh. planned the meals and, and, and made sure that students were well-fed. That was one of the highest ratings on our survey Yeah, <laughs> was the quality of the food. So that was great. I think, you know, planning for this camp, it's always, you know, a logistical challenge, but we're getting better at that. And I think that preparing our space, making sure, as you mentioned, the TAs, which even came in before app camp, they were great at helping us prepare all the laptops and iPads, setting up devices, and then making sure that the room was prepped. I mean, we had a lot of work to do in the room to make sure we had banners up in place and we had, you know, purchased a second screen because of the width of the room. Just a lot of logistics went into making the campus success. And so again, thank you to the TAs and my wife for helping with those logistics on the back end. And jumping back to your point about the activities and the projects, the first project we typically do is a icebreaker. The task is to create wild butter and jelly sandwiches. And that's really an icebreaker because the students are really quiet. They have not met each other. And within minutes, they're excited because we get them into four or five groups and they have to write down proper instructions to make that sandwich. And of course, it gets very messy <laughs> because it usually doesn't go without, without some kind of a hitch. So they will say something like, put the peanut butter on the first slice of bread. And of course, the TAs are the ones that are following the directions. They'll stick their hand down on the peanut butter because you didn't say use a knife, that sort of thing. So it gets the kids excited. They're, they're laughing and having a good time, breaks the ice. That's a really good one. Another activity we added this year was the binary game, which we wanted to demonstrate the fact that computers only operate on zeros and ones. Yes, we write a lot of code, but that's all compiled down to zeros and ones under the hood. And like, how does that work? Like, how do you get from zeros and ones to actually writing code? And how does that process happen? I had a lot of questions in years past about this, and I didn't really know how to explain this concept without going deep into the explanation of how this works. So on a simple level, we basically just put a TA in a closet and ask the group to write instructions on how to get that TA out into another room, into the kitchen area outside of our space. And in doing so, they could only use two options, on or off. And that's all they could say to the TA and they had to direct them out. And I think it helped them kind of open up their mind to understand how you can take only two options binary in order to you know, give direction to this particular, in this instance, the TA to walk out the room. And I think that was a great exercise for that. 
Yeah, I heard, I heard a lot of the, the students commenting on the activities uh, and how it helped to kind of solidify what we were teaching because, you know, in the past we've had some videos and some explanation, but whenever they can kind of group into activities, it makes it even more concrete for them. Um, and, yeah, I think they I think they really kind of – that that was a home run, that, that exercise. Um, and that's the first, this is the first year we've done that one, um, the binary game, and I thought that was awesome because it really got them thinking and there were some it was interesting because you know it's, it showed them too that there are different ways to solve problems so not every group is going to solve the same problem the same way and so it, it kind of gets them to realize oh yeah so you could code something like three different teams might code something and, and come up with different solutions but they all work uh, so you know ultimately <laughs> they work so that's good uh, you, you can always be more efficient and find ways to be more efficient. But at the end of the day, if it works, it works. I also thought that this taught them a very important lesson. And they learn this in every group activity. Your teammates aren't going to agree all the time. That's true. And they, you know, we asked them, what did you learn from this activity? And I think that was pointed out each time that the group members don't all agree. This is the real world. This is this is the world we live in. And you've got to learn how to work with people who have different opinions and figure out how to make that work in a working environment. And so I thought they did a great job of figuring out exactly what they were going to do in every activity, talking about the activities and, and moving into the first couple of days of coding. We call it the foundations of coding. And, and in some cases, the students have never written any code at all. Some have done Python or they've done JavaScript or they've done Scratch or Blockly of one of those simple yep. programming languages. And, and, and so this is the time where those first two days are very critical for them to, to walk through the coding examples we have. And, and so we've definitely improved this each year. And I think that the examples we use are very relatable, which is very important. I feel like if the first two days of me babbling on goes well, the rest yeah. of the week starts to really come together because your project follows right after. And that's when their yeah. mind starts to open up. And, and I think they start realizing those light bulbs are going off like, oh, this makes a lot of sense what he was talking about. Now we're actually putting it into practice. Yeah. Well, we've done it some years where I think we've crammed too much um, of the concepts in without the activities. And I, we had a great balance this year. We just need to replicate that from now on because, you know, I don't feel like we lost any of the students and they were all engaged the whole time. And that was what to me and, and part of it was I think we really identified the students that are coming in better than we've ever done in the past. So I think that helped. But part of it was the structure that we had this year. We had the, you know, that designing the car activity that you did. I mean, that was great because it got them in teams again. That was like kind of the third activity they had. And, you know, they, they learned about structs and and I thought that was great. And then it just moved nicely into my project. So, um, yeah, I mean, I did a Swift UI app, uh, and it was a basic, you know, app about, I was initially going to, you know, contact the Western North Carolina Apple Orchard Association or whatever and, and have them involved, but I, I didn't have time for that. So basically we just located some Apple Orchards in, in our area, uh, mainly Hendersonville area and put them on a map and had a, an array that went through Apple facts about, you know, North Carolina apples 
Uh, and so they learned some some facts about the, and I learned some as well about the North Carolina apple orchards that I didn't know. Um, and then we also had, you know, they learned about tab views and structured their SwiftUI app that way. They learned about H stacks and V stacks, and you know, were able to. I thought it was kind of cool because they used MapKit and they actually, you know, were able to create their own special map icons, but then they also learned about system images and and things like that that are just already kind of given to you. So, I mean, they, you know, I told them, I said at the end of this, I said, look, you've made a, a, a real app. Now you can modify it. And they were. Some of them were actually going through and modifying, you know, how it looked and changing colors and things like that. You know, we even showed them kind of, okay, here's how you store your data. So you've got your data over here in this file. And then, you know, the only thing I didn't do, which I have done since, um, is I put it all in a JSON, like all the data is in a JSON file now, which I might do next year or for the online tutorial once we have that up. Because it just makes it easier when your data is all in one place and you're just pulling it in. But part of it, I think, that I liked about it is that they really didn't have to you know, they could kind of like use the Swift file and put their, even though the views are technically should be in separate Swift files, they were able to kind of see how it works. And then they can go back and refactor it later. I mean, I've seen, I've worked in a lot of tutorials that do that. And so, you know, it's just, I didn't want to overwhelm them with like 50 million uh, Swift files. So they only had a few, it was pretty basic, but I think it was good. And then the other one we did was the AR app, um, which we just took that Apple theme. Oh yeah, I also added some donut shops in town just to make it a little more exciting for them. Uh, so it's not just Apple Orchards. Uh, so they had a donut icon and then they had the Apple icon for the maps. But then we did the same thing in AR, but they were 3D donuts and 3D apples. And they made a little AR game, shooting game, where they could shoot the apples and they get an explosion effect and visual and, and audio and and were able to keep score and one thing that i hadn't done is the bullets were just kind of remaining you know so they'd shoot these bullets and they would just stay in the in the game and i said yeah we could you know you could eliminate those bullets uh, over time you just would have to you know go in there and put an if statement in there if they go a certain distance you know remove it and so then these students figured that out they figured out how to how to remove the bullets and and um that was cool so you know it was just a matter of saying okay when it gets to this point at the z index to remove the bullets and they did it and so they they had some help with the the teachers uh, i think matthew helped them with that project they also worked on spawning more donuts and things like that so it was pretty cool to kind of see them modify the the game at the end and and spend a few more hours doing that you mentioned the AR app for people that don't know that's augmented reality. I really like augmented reality because it really showcases what's coming in the future, which we will talk about in a future episode, <laughs> but it's really cool for them to hold up their iPad and you had it where the apples appeared in your actual room. So you could see them visually in front of you, but then they could shoot those. And so that's really cool. I found that the students that were trying to solve this issue of having these objects, these bullets that they shot off, it was like some of them were actually using that to their advantage. Like they would walk around the room and point it at people because <laughs> the bullets look like basically little blocks. And so they were shooting them out and 
they, they were having a lot of fun with it. Some were trying to crash the app because they didn't disappear. The bullets existed forever in the app. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it was really cool to see some of those students tackle that challenge of, okay, we got to get rid of these if they, after a certain period of uh, time or distance. And I think what they ended up doing is, is actually timing it. So after a few seconds, they knew the bullets were out of view. And so they just removed them. That was what they, and they came, they were excited about that. They yeah, came back right, and they were like, right. we figured it out. Please tell the TA we figured yeah. it out. So yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Well, and they, you know, and then I, I talked to them and said, you know, you could actually animate this and, you know, fade it out kind of like we did with the, once they explode, you could do the same thing with the bullets and have them kind of fade out if they wanted to. So there, there are other ways, other things you can do. You could also, I think, I think the bullets were white. And for some reason, when I tried to change the color, it didn't work. But when I put a new skin on it, it did. So I'm not really sure why the color colors wouldn't change. I don't know if that's a scene kit bug or what, but uh, the colors weren't changing for some reason when I tried it. The other thing as far as activities we did was the coder's phrase activity. And I love this game. We play this every year. I guess we probably started it about three or four years ago because we realized there was a huge jump between creating your basic playground projects into creating a full-blown game. And we still felt like we needed some activity to explain the fact that there's separation of duties with files. So like class files or structs or whatever. You have a TA standing at the board with a number of letters. So there's some phrase that you're trying to guess and you have to guess the letters. And so the students are running back to their other team members to ask for specific letters. And then they return back to the board and place it on the board. And over time, you're starting to uncover what this phrase says. So it gets more than one person involved in the group. I think it does a great job of explaining that only one person's at the board writing, only one person's running back and forth, only one person's actually working on the logistics in the background. I think it teaches that whole concept of separation of duties. So. I think that was cool, and it leads right into our day five project, which is the Sprite Kit game. I learned a lot of lessons with the Sprite Kit game. I had another project that I wanted to do, and my pride would not let me use common sense until the night before day five, <laughs> where I was there really late at the space trying to finish this project, and the realization was You've got other projects that you can do that you know is only going to take half a day. This project you're working on, I know you're excited about it, but let's be realistic. The students don't type as fast as we do. And if there's any issue, it's going to be a failed project. And so I had to pivot and make the wise choice of let's go with a smaller project that we've, we're familiar with that will take half a day. In reality, that means an entire day, but they can actually finish it add special features yep. to it if they like and have a great experience. And so that's what we did. So I learned, you know, the scope creep problem is, is real. And I'm glad that I made that decision because it was a success. Had I tried to do this project, it, for me, it was going to take an entire day, if more, and we only have one day remaining. And so I'm glad that I decided let's just do the wise thing. Let's make sure app camp is a success. It's not about me. It's about the students finishing a 2D Sprite kit game. Yes, that's a valuable lesson because I've been there too where, you know, if you have more time during app camp and you know, okay, I have three more days, I'm just going to make this project even better. And then it ends up taking two days to build. Um, 
it's just yeah it, then they get tired of the project and they're they're ready to move on and so half day that's a very valuable lesson for us half day projects turn into full day projects and they have enough time to play with it make it their own those who can move ahead can make it their own those who are maybe slower at typing can still finish it so it's a win for everybody so yeah i, I think that that was a valuable lesson and we also need to remember that they need breaks throughout the, the days. And, you know, and I think we had a lot of nice breaks so they could, you know, have fun and play ping pong and play Nintendo during the breaks and run around. So, so that was good too. I thought the, the day five one was great. The only thing that I'll say is <laughs> as the parents were coming in, I guess they, they came in, we need to tell them four thirty next time. Cause they came in at four o'clock and one of the students was still having a major error. And I knew it was a curly brace just in the wrong spot. But it's just like I was sitting there sweating trying to, like, greet the parents but also fix their problem at the end. And none of the TAs could fix it. So I finally fixed it. But, you know, <laughs> I wanted to make sure I could visit with the parents. As right. Well. And you mentioned that last project. Shout out to Paul Hudson because we were able to okay. use his OMG Popper game, which... I think was a Swift on Sundays two hour project. And we just made some adjustments to that project because both Bob and I had completed it before. And so we basically use a variation of that project as our final. So thanks Paul for that project. Yeah, thanks Paul. We actually uh, told our students, go check out hackingwithswift.com if you want to learn yes. a little bit more after the camp. And uh, our goal is to be able to provide tutorials and and curriculum in the future, Paul's content has been a lifesaver in many of our app camps. So we're very thankful for that. And it made our day five a success. <laughs> yes. And there are plenty of uh, full-scale developers that rely on Paul's documentation. <laughs> so especially for SwiftUI. So your thoughts on the entire camp as far as the results? I know the survey we sent out was very positive confirmed a successful yes. week. Um, you want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, so we really had some great reviews from AppCamp. Um, it was cool to see some of the comments at the end. I'll just read a couple. One student said, I really enjoyed this camp. It made coding very accessible, and it began to feel like something I could do. The people were amazing, and activities were fun. Uh, another camper said, camp was so fun, and I feel like I learned a lot. The teachers were nice and very helpful. The food was also really good, and breaks were nice. Another camper said, this was a fun camp. The TAs, especially Matthew, was amazing and helpful. I would definitely recommend this. And then, it was great. I really enjoyed coming here and coming into this amazing community. I can't wait to come back next year. It was awesome. And last but not least... We had one say, I signed up last minute for the Swift App Camp, and I'm so glad I did. I made new friends and had fun playing games, all while learning about coding. It's so cool to be able to say that I've created an app that can be used. So this is cool. It's really nice to see. And I, and I like to hear that our students are, you know, mention that, that we have an amazing community, because I feel like we do. Like, every App Camp is different but every camp has its own little community at the end of the week. It's really cool to see that and to see the students kind of become friends and are, you know, staying in touch afterwards. We had one group that started their own Discord after App Camp, so that was kind of cool too. 
you know, it's just so rewarding. When I look over and I see students helping students, not even the, I mean, I, I know we all also have the, the technical assistance, but I saw at tables, students who are new helping other students figure out their errors. To me, that's just, it shows that it works, you know, <laughs> because the student who's getting the help is interested and the student who's helping the other student is interested and they're both engaged and it's just like it's a win-win because the student that's helping the other student is also learning too. And then the TAs, they are learning even more. So we tell our students, hey, when you come in, there's a next step. The next step is you become a TA. And maybe it's not the first app camp, maybe it's the second app camp. But come through a couple of these and or take our tutorials or once we do Saturdays or evening classes, they'll, they'll be able to continue helping. So yeah. That to me, that's the best part of all of this. I agree. And I also like the diversity we had in the app camp. Even with the diversity we had, it was very, very collaborative. No one felt uncomfortable there. I really appreciate that. And I thought that the students, like I mentioned before, many of them never coded before. And so on Friday to hear their parents come in and say, my child has not been excited about anything on this wise, for them to be excited is, is, is pretty amazing. And that bodes well for us as far as word of mouth and just what we're doing, the program we're running, what we'd like to do to inspire others to get involved with computer science. And I think that a lot of the students had a very positive experience and I'm definitely looking forward to the next step for our app camp. Yeah, totally. All right, on to all things code. So finally, computer science is being taken seriously. And we talked about this, I guess, in the first few episodes of our podcast about some of the disparities with computer science and the barriers that exist in underserved communities, you know, not a very diverse field and how America's really behind. There's an article on Forbes and many other websites that talk about this. And I'm just going to read a little excerpt from the Forbes article that says K-12 computer science, creating a case for full-time status in schools. And the article says, life has little moments, segments of time stitched together to reveal a passing of the torch. Coding, gaming, and expanded robotic and artificial intelligence applications are creating new, comprehensive, integrated offerings that can no longer be dismissed as tomorrow's reality. Today, computer science has transitioned from a nice-to-have into a vital cog within the U.S. education system and global economy. The days of computer science being relegated to extracurricular activities or add-ons to lessons when time permits are over. Computer science is dominating the educational landscape, bringing research, application, engagement, and opportunity to students of all ages and abilities across the world. That was an excerpt from Forbes magazine. And what I thought was interesting was like, okay, that's great buzzwords. Um, We've heard this before, but where's the action? So what's happened, which is really cool, there was a letter drafted from 500 businesses, education and nonprofit leaders. And there is a website that we'll put in the show notes. So CEOs for computer science, basically the letter says to the governors and education leaders of the United States of America, The undersigned leaders have joined forces to deliver a bipartisan message about opportunity and the American dream. We call on you to update the K-12 curriculum in each state 
for every student in every school to have the opportunity to learn computer science. This has broad support among parents, students, teachers, and employers. Why? Because computer science provides an essential foundation not only for careers in technology, but for every career in today's world. Studies now show that students who learn computer science outperform in school, university, and beyond. At a time when every industry is impacted by digital technology, our schools should teach every student how technology works, to learn to be creators, not just consumers. Instead, this basic skill is taught only to the lucky few, leaving most students behind, especially young women and students of color. The United States leads the world in technology, yet only 5% of our high school students study computer science. How is this acceptable? We invented the personal computer, the internet, and the smartphone. It is our responsibility to prepare the next generation for the new American dream. A new decade of progress has shown that change is possible. 100,000 teachers have proven that every school can teach computer science and that every child can start learning as early as elementary school. The largest school districts have expanded access to computer science from New York to Los Angeles, Broward County to Las Vegas. All 50 states have taken action showing that this idea has bipartisan support. As states rethink education in light of COVID-19, it's time to make computer science a basic part of the new normal. Here's why. And they list a number of reasons why. If you read the article, you'll hear those. But the final portion of it basically says we must do our part. The undersigned commit our support by collectively creating employment opportunities for computer science students in every city in the U.S. and in every sector from manufacturing to banking, from agriculture to healthcare. Many of us offer internships to help these students find their career pathway. Many of us have funded efforts in CS education to support underserved communities, but there is only so much industry can do by ourselves. Now is the time for action and the stakes couldn't be higher. Together, we urge you for the sake of our students, our economy and our country to work together to update K-12 curriculum for every student in every school to have the opportunity to learn computer science. This was a very well-drafted letter, and I could not have said it better. Some of the things they talked about, you and I have talked about in a number of episodes when it comes to computer science. And I leave it personally because I went through the computer science track, what existed in high school and in college, and it's so far behind. I mean, the computer science AP does not prepare people for the field of computer science, in my opinion. It's so far behind. And not only that, it's really kind of stuffed in a corner like, oh, yeah, we offer computer science and it's kind of left to the side and they don't really put enough effort into it considering what the future is in AI. Yeah, true. But, you know, one thing, the CEOs, I mean, it's great that they're doing this. It's great that they've written this, that they're, you know, asking the governors and the government to get involved. But at the same time, they need to put their money where their mouth is because they've got a lot of money. And they are making a lot of money. And so I would like to see the CEOs of this nation uh, actually do more than just write a letter. I would like to see these CEOs, you know, invest in the companies that are trying to do good and invest uh, in, in more than just say, hey, the government should solve this. Uh, well, it's easy to say the government should solve this, but they need to actually put some money into this because I think it's just like the space mission that we're seeing exploding. It's going to take the private sector to invest in this if they want to see it change. And that's the next step. There's an article in, that responds to this, what the CEOs have written. We'll put it in the show notes from usnews.com. It says U.S. governors vow to boost 
computer science education at schools after business push. So they've gotten the message, which is great. You know, that it says the effort announced on Thursday by the National Governors Association was organized by Governor uh, Hutchison as part of an initiative he outlined last year. The executive letter was led by the Seattle-based nonprofit Code.org, which aims to provide computer science to students and help them seek careers in technology. And I do think that there are CEOs that are, are giving to organizations like Code.org. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying there needs to be more of that uh, if they want to see a change. The executives in their letter called on the governors to update the school curriculum in each state to give students in every school access to computer science education. Um, and it had a quote here from Bill Gates. When I was 13, computer science changed the course of my life. I was really lucky to have access to a computer that early on. I hope this initiative will give every student the same opportunity. So I think that's awesome to see that. Um, the governors have signed the, com it's called um, Compact to Expand K-12 Computer Science Education. Uh, they're committing to expanding access to computer science education through various strategies, including funding and increasing participation from traditionally underserved populations. So this all ties into our mission and what we're trying to do and, and just really have been doing since 2020 when we founded Swift App School is to help traditionally underserved populations. We've partnered with the Young Eisner Scholars in the past and hope to do more with them once we're virtual and have our virtual platform built. So that is just great to see that finally, <laughs> after how long, we're seeing some attention. I mean, I, th I know Tim Cook has, has done a lot uh, with Everyone Can Code and, and that movement within Apple. But yeah, I mean, this this has been such a need for so long. And finally, I think we're getting the message. I mean, we're looking at these other countries that have had computer science, you know, as their mission for so long. Um, I'm thinking about like, you know, Thailand. They've had a huge coding community for years uh, and their young people are doing so much. And, and the U.S. has just been so far behind the education system anyway. Yes. So I'm glad to see And this. I'm a direct recipient of an underserved community and what giving access to technology will do for your life. And I've talked about that in some of the other podcast episodes. I'm very thankful, but it's not just teaching computer science. I think the challenge still remains qualified instructors to teach the topic. Yes. You can check a box, you know, and say we have computer science. And that's why I feel like we don't really have to compete with other organizations. We're really in this together. Yeah. And I think code.org and online resources from Ray Winderlich to Paul Hudson's Hacking with Swift to Sean Allen's content on his YouTube channel. And there's many, many others I can call out that we use regularly. But I think we all have a part to play in this. And once you see what we saw this past week from App Camp, once you see those students light up, that's the payment. And you know that those students will turn around and thank you one day. And I think that's what I have done for uh, yeah. Mr. Gabriel, my teacher, I always shout his name out for what he did for me, setting me on a path to be successful in terms of technology. And that's what we aim to do at Swift App School. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about is paying it forward. And, you know, we've talked about our own experience at the high school level. I know you were in coding more than I was, but even even back in the ancient era of high school, when I was in high school, you know, in the, the late 80s, 90s, 
we had these Apple II computers and learning basic and, and we had that and then it just kind of disappeared. And I didn't think about it again until way after that. I mean, I, I wish they had had more of that when I was in high school and I probably would have gotten into it earlier. But, you know, that's the thing now that I feel like, you know, as much technology as these kids have in front of them, they're still more consumers of technology than creators. And we need to change that uh, in every level. Well said. I say that a lot. Creators of content rather than just consumers of content. And that's more than jargon. There are so many kids that I watch and even spoken to. And I, and I asked them, hey, wouldn't you like to create that? And some of them get fired up about it. And at other times, some of them are like, nah, that's too hard. And that's what I want to change. It's not too hard. That's like saying it's too, I don't want to work in a job where you have to read and write because that's too hard. This is coming in the future. Artificial intelligence is the future. And one day people are going to look up and say, I wish I had spent a little more time. I do hear this now. So I know it's going to happen in the future. People are coming back saying, I wish I had learned more and had more computer literacy when I was in high school. So again, that's where our goal is for Swift App School. And we hope that we can, as you mentioned from Steve Jobs quote, make a dent in the universe. All right, on to something really cool. Snapchat co-founder pays off college debt of new graduates at LA Art and Design School. So I thought this was really cool. Can you imagine you just graduated college? You're not really thinking about the debt you owe. You're just excited that you finally reached that day. And then someone gets up and announces that your college debt has is completely paid off. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, like that's amazing. You're going to do more to throw that hat up in the air. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, you are. A block party would instantly break out. <laughs> um, so there's a, you know, this is taken from the perspective of a student here. Yaritza Valquez Medina, hope I'm saying that right, took a chance on a major career turn when she decided to drop her work as a crisis counselor in 2018 to pursue her artistic passions. She enrolled at Otis College of Art and Design in Los Angeles to become a graphic designer even though she racked up about $70,000 in college debt to do so. But after she crossed the stage Sunday to receive her diploma at commencement ceremonies, she and 284 other graduates in the class of 2022 received stunning news. The college debt would be completely paid off through the largest donation in the school's century-old history by Snapchat co-founder Evan Spiegel and his wife Miranda Kerr, who is founder of the beauty company Cora. The Otis president made the announcement during the commencement ceremony at the Westin Los Angeles Airport Hotel, drawing gasps and cheers from the audience. Some graduates hugged, cried, and jumped for joy. Basically, it says, It changed my life and made me feel at home, Spiegel told the graduating class. I felt pushed and challenged to grow surrounded by super talented artists and designers, and we were all in it together. Spiegel and Kerr are founders of the Spiegel Family Fund. They said in a statement that the college is an extraordinary institution that encourages young creatives to find their artistic voices and thrive in a variety of industries and careers. It is a privilege for our family to give back and support the class of 2022, and we hope this gift will empower our graduates to pursue their passions, contribute to the world, and inspire humanity for years to come. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, there's an example of a CEO actually doing what they are, co-founder doing what they need to be doing to give back. So, Yeah, that was great. I mean, 
it just shows that this person, obviously, uh, these co-founders of these companies, they have been very successful and they feel what a lot of people feel that become successful. What now? What can I do to turn around and show my appreciation for where I am? I think that speaks well for people like this. And I hear this a lot from even developers, even if they're not making a lot of money, they want to know at some point, like Mr. Gabriel did, I'm working this job, I'm a cog in the wheel. What can I do to give back and encourage the youth? Because you realize we're only here for a short time. What can I do that is going to make the greatest impact on others? And giving has always been that thing that can help people to feel like, okay, I've served my purpose on this earth. And so, as, you know, I'm always excited to hear stories like this. It kind of, you know, chokes me up a little bit because I put myself in the moment. I'm like, can you imagine, <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, we want to do our part and, you know, have that similar feeling, those good, warm, fuzzy feelings of, you know, I've succeeded, I've made it. Now I'm seeing yeah. other people make it. I think that's really, really inspiring. And so that's why I thought that was really cool. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Swift App School podcast. You can always find us online at swiftappschool.com. And we're also on social media at Swift App School on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. Bye, y'all. Goodbye.